The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Live from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. Biden lost a lot of goodwill. He lost a lot of the trust that was given to him at the outset of this year. The Democratic Party can't find its way back to the JFK days because it's so far over to the left. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. People generally don't have a favorable view of Congress, but they do of their own congressmen. It's got to be something that all 50 senators, every single 50 senator can support. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe. Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Live from Washington, where we are gearing up for another working weekend as the House Budget Committee plans a Saturday session to begin its work on the reconciliation bill slowly coming into form here this hour. We will hear from a number of Democrats on that plan, including the head of the Progressive Caucus, Congresswoman Pramia Jayapal, who I bumped into earlier today on the Hill. And we'll talk more about it with Congressman Sean Kasten, Democrat from Illinois. Republican Congressman Warren Davidson also with us this hour. He'll give us his view from the other side of the aisle as most members of his party prepare to vote no next week on infrastructure. And then we'll have our Friday Reporters Roundtable with Bloomberg government's Jack Fitzpatrick. And Mario Parker's with us for the hour as well, Bloomberg Politics team leader, as we dig into what we've learned this week and what might happen next week. First, though, let's check on how the markets wrapped up the week here. A Friday update from Charlie Powell. Uh, thank you very much. lot to pack in this hour. That's why they call it the fastest hour in politics. Joe Matthew, the Dow, the S&P higher today. NASDAQ on the minus side. A lot of turmoil this week. Who would have thought last Monday that we would end the week with a gain? On the week, S&P did finish with a gain of 0.5%. Crypto Crypto, a major story today. We have Bitcoin uh, selling off right now, looking at Bitcoin on the plus side, up by less than one-tenth of one percent. So again, recapping, equities did advance. Late-day rally pushed the S&P higher by six points, up by one-tenth of one percent. The Dow also up one-tenth of one percent. NASDAQ down less than one-tenth of one percent. I'm Charlie Palatin. That is a Bloomberg Business Flash. Charlie, thank you. And of course, by that, Charlie means... You made it to Friday. Now, the next few days will be critical to the future of President Biden's economic agenda. Budget committee session, as I mentioned, set for Saturday. Sideline negotiations taking place between progressive and moderate Democrats. A lot of questions about the timeline that may be answered. And that doesn't even include funding the government. Now, on the steps of the U.S. House earlier today, I caught up with the head of the Progressive Caucus, Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal, Washington State who says he previously promised Monday vote on bipartisan infrastructure. Remember that? A promise to moderates is not going to happen. Yeah, that's not good. I mean, because it can't. It will fail. Does it bother you that we're having conversations about Democrats trusting Democrats when it comes to this? Or is that what this comes down to? Well, you know, look, it's this is hard stuff. It's not easy. We're making big decisions that will transform people's lives. And nobody should expect that that's going to be easy. At the end of the day, as I've said over and over again, we're all on the same team. And we got to come together. But we have to come together. And that means 
that the agreements that were made coming out of the Senate when the bipartisan bill passed, that the two bills would move together, need to be kept, too. And that's what we're trying to do right now. Is this days or weeks away, then? I mean, I think it's all about people's willingness to give us, you know, to engage. And I think that's starting to happen. It started with the president. I have said, uh, I just said publicly, and... I would love to sit down with Senator Manchin, Senator Cinema, see if that can help move things along, just, you know, for us to hear each other yeah. um, and see where we are and continue the negotiations. Do you still believe half the Progressive Caucus would vote against infrastructure if it was today? Yes. How about that? Congresswoman Jayapal with the walk and talk. Her Progressive Caucus includes 95 members, by the way. We'll be very curious to hear if and when she holds those sessions, those meetings with Senators Manchin and Cinema, And we continue the conversation now with Congressman Sean Kasten, Democrat from Illinois, pushing for clean energy in the reconciliation bill. All right. We actually spoke earlier with uh, Congressman Kasten, but we're going to get to Warren Davidson, I guess, as uh, part of the broadcast here. Congressman Davidson, welcome back to Bloomberg Radio. Great to join you again. As we approach potential votes on infrastructure and reconciliation in the coming weeks, I guess we'll say, are you planning to vote no on both of them? I am, as I've seen them so far. Absolutely. So maybe we shouldn't be calling it a bipartisan infrastructure bill. What do you think? Well, the Senate certainly moved a a bipartisan bill. Uh, It was $1.2 trillion, about $550 billion in new spending. And, you know, it does have some infrastructure in it. I mean, it it wouldn't probably pass muster as a food labeling law. It's got about 9% traditional infrastructure. If you push that out and say, hey, rural broadband, for example, uh, you could get, you know, 180 billion or so out of the out of the 1.2 trillion that this core infrastructure. Um, But that's been the thing. It's a tortured definition of infrastructure. And of course, there's some compromise in it. But the, the percentage on the compromise is pretty skewed. Have your feelings evolved on that when you consider the money for roads, bridges, tunnels, broadband, et cetera, for your district? No, I mean, I, I would love to vote on a clean bill for that. And really, our solution to it, you know, a big part of this bill is making use of dollars that are already out there. So thankfully, even with the resurgent Delta variant, so far, most uh, states and localities have said we don't need all of the COVID dollars that we have or we can't spend them with the tight constraints that are already on them. And, of course, they're not going to send them back to the Treasury. Uh, so what can they do with them? We've had a bill since June of last year that would give flexibility for states and localities to use these dollars uh, as they, uh, you know, would be accountable to their uh, constituents locally. Uh, and the biggest thing they want to use it for is infrastructure. So it looks to me like if progressives vote no on, on infrastructure because they don't have reconciliation yet and Republicans like you are not prepared to support it, this could fail. It certainly could. Now, you know, would would a dozen Republicans vote for it? You know, I don't know. I think in the House, there's just a lot of uh, reluctance to because, you know, we very clearly see and, and Speaker Pelosi very clearly pledge that this is just a delivery vehicle for three and a half trillion of additional spending. So that's been the hang up of the progressives. They're not confident that they can get the three and a half trillion across that has. Look, it's not just the numbers. It's the stuff they want to do with the money. Uh, it, you're talking about fundamentally transforming the the country, and of course, that's what progressives campaign on. 
So the logic of our leadership, thankfully, right now is lined with, uh, you know, the conservative part of our party that says, you know, let's let the Democrats figure out how to do this on their own. And then if you agree to support it, then fine, go ahead and support it. But let's not deliver the votes that get them across the finish line, because we feel that we'll get a more conservative bill by withholding our support. I'd love to ask you about the debate around the debt ceiling. Seems lawmakers can't always agree on whether it pays for money already spent or it gives us a threshold for more spending in the future. But should not both parties be responsible for the full faith and credit of the United States Treasury? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, they should be. And, and part of the problem is they've done a bad job. They've spent into oblivion. Uh, you know, the Federal Reserve's balance sheet's over $8 trillion. I mean, what's the Federal Reserve going to do? Not cover it? Um, but essentially, uh, we're, we're destroying the value of the dollar. It's growing the wealth gap. It, it is a real problem, uh, the level of spending. And, of course, that's why there is a, uh, a debt limit. There's a cap. Much like a business would have a line of credit, banks aren't just going to willy-nilly say, oh, sure, go ahead and have a higher line of credit. Uh, if one of their big banking uh, corporate customers had a problem, they need to or maybe a great success, hey, you're growing like crazy. Uh, recently, banks have had to sit down with their customers and say, yeah, no, steel or lumber or whatever uh, freight is now two, three, four times as expensive as it used to be. So if you're just doing the same book of business, your line of credit's got to grow. Well, they don't do that without sitting down and talking to the management team and saying, how are you going to pay for this? Where are you going to change to be able to accommodate it? How does the profitability of the firm deliver that? That's why Congress put a uh, debt limit and a cap on the uh, on in the first place. Yeah. And Democrats just want to waive that without having that conversation. But is Nancy Pelosi wrong when she says this would also cover Trump era spending? Well, of course. I mean, they, we've already spent the money. I mean, and, and look, some of this is still covering great society spending, frankly. Uh, you're talking about the Social Security Trust Fund being depleted, Medicare not being actuarially sound, it's spending to bankruptcy. Um, so these things have been poorly structured forever. Um, so, you know, absolutely, it's covering prior spending, going back to the Great Society. I'd like to ask you about crypto, Congressman. This is, of course, uh, an issue that's near and dear to your heart. As the conversation about regulating crypto gets underway here for real, apparently, in the U.S. with the SEC, the government in China has declared crypto transactions illegal, and we're seeing massive volatility based on it. How can U.S. regulation protect investors from that kind of volatility? Well, one, the U.S. could take this as a great opportunity to provide, you know, much-needed regulatory clarity for American firms. I mean, a lot of the, uh, you know, crypto activity is from American citizens who've led the innovation in this space, uh, but a lot of the investments taking place offshore because even in America with American citizens, American companies and, you know, the nexus that we have in places like Silicon Valley and capital markets in New York, um, they're, they're moving offshore for the investments. And in China, you know, historically, when China bans something, mm-hmm. it's great for share prices. If you're talking about a public company, mm-hmm. uh, they tried to ban Twitter, they ban Facebook, Google, you name it. If it allows their citizens some degree of freedom, they don't like it. And of course, Bitcoin does that. It provides some degree of freedom. It's essentially sort of a form of freedom money. And China's already tried to ban that. They banned mining, and they thought, oh, we'll cripple it. We'll ban all the mining activity. It didn't phase it. Um, so it did cause some movement in the price. And I think a lot of people are looking at this as an incredible buying opportunity. Congressman Warren Davidson, Republican from Ohio's 8th District, we thank you for talking with us today and hope you have a good weekend, sir.
Yeah, you too. Thank you so much. And we continue the conversation with Congressman Sean Caston, aforementioned, a Democrat from Illinois who's going to bring us a very different view on this whole debate. Congressman, welcome back to Bloomberg. Pleasure to be here. You describe yourself on Twitter as a former clean energy entrepreneur and a climate nerd. And I'm wondering to start, which climate initiatives you see making it into the final version of this reconciliation bill? Well, so the truth is, it's either all or none of us are deserving of the job we have right now. The practical reality is that what is necessary for climate vastly exceeds what anybody thinks is politically possible. And so there's no guarantee we're going to get there. But we've we've got to get all these things in. The centerpiece is the clean electricity payment program. Um, I feel very good about what we've done in the House, not just because it's good for the climate, but because it's good for the economy. We are on the cusp of the greatest wealth transfer in our nation's history, maybe in the world's history, from energy producers to energy consumers. That is really good for every single living human being who consumes energy. It's going to be a hard fight against those who think that we are better off protecting those who produce energy. Well, it's been a little bit of a, a hard fight within your party. I know some uh, Democratic moderates are threatening to to not vote for this reconciliation bill if the if the bipartisan infrastructure bill doesn't come up for a vote Monday or shortly thereafter. What kind of conversations do you have with your colleagues about that? Well, the first thing, which is which is just totally tragic, and I wish this wasn't true, but if we prioritize bipartisanship, we don't prioritize climate. This is being framed as a debate within our party because the entirety of the debate about how to make this transition in a way that gets the equities right is only happening within one party. Um, and that's unfortunate. The, the Republican Party used to be really a leading voice on this. The, um, you know, I think you know, Bill Ruckelshaus, who was the director of the EPA under Reagan, made some really good changes. Bill Riley under Bush. The, so as we sit right now, what we can say with, with great certainty is that the, the bipartisan package that was negotiated is good for roads and bridges. It is, it's pretty weak on climate issues. And so we are all trying to figure out right now, how do we make sure that those critically important, economically important, environmentally important climate provisions in the reconciliation package stay in place? And, you know, we, those of us in the House, have control over what happens in the House. We don't have control over what happens in the Senate. Sure. And so there's a lot of conversation about how to ensure that uh, that we get that we get both because if we don't get both then we really don't make any progress on climate well it's interesting as we hear a framework uh, for pay for is announced by nancy pelosi and by chuck schumer does that not give you more hope that some of these initiatives are going to end up in the bill because they're paid for there was never any question about whether these things were going to be paid for we you know we we were very clear we the rules that we have passed in this congress and the last congress says that we pay for our bills as we go um, and so we always knew that there would be the pay floors that are in here. That's not a new thing. Now, some of the, I, I actually think that most of the debate that's happening publicly claims to be about the top line, but it's actually an argument about the pay force. The, there's a huge pay for in the form of giving Medicare the ability to negotiate prescription drug prices with pharmaceutical companies. Um, that's a pay for because it saves the federal government a lot of money if we pay less for pharmaceuticals. By the way, it also saves money for people who need to use pharmaceuticals. Um, that's been a debate as a pay for. The how much do we raise, you know, top marginal tax rates? How much do we close down on tax loopholes and tax cheats? The 
But those pay-fors were always in there. There was never any question about that. Three and a half trillion is is one hand clapping if that's the only number you talk through. So I don't think that fundamentally changes the calculus. But there are those who have differences of opinion about what we should be using to do those pay-fors. President speaking today about his support. He was asked uh, in a news conference held to talk about COVID. He was asked about taxing unrealized gains among the wealthiest Americans. He said he's sick and tired of the wealthiest not paying their fair share in taxes. Do you support that? So it's it's certainly part of it. The you know if you look at our and, and Richie Neal has been very articulate on this point. If you look over the course of our history. Federal revenue as a percent of GDP um, for most of our history, at least you know in the last several decades, has hovered in the 21 to 23 percent range. And since the 2017 tax cuts, it's been in the high teens. And that substantially explains much of the um, much of the deficit we've got right now. But it also has allowed it's created a situation where the people who benefit from all those federal services, like our courts and our highways and our roads and bridges. Um, are not paying their fair share. And the president has been very clear that he will categorically not raise taxes on anybody earning less than $400,000 a year. Mm-hmm. And there still are a lot of ways that he that he can go through to do that. And yes, a part of it is raising top tax rates. Yes, a part of it is looking at you know things like some of these carried interest deductions. Um, a big part of it, frankly, that uh, is, is underscored, I think actually will generate a lot more revenue than we scored as, is simply allowing the IRS, giving the IRS the tools they need to enforce the laws that are on the books. There is a trillion-dollar gap every year. That's from the Trump head of the IRS, by the way. A trillion-dollar gap between taxes due and taxes collected. And that's because we have we've consistently underfunded the IRS. So those are those are really important pieces. And frankly, the reason that one scores lower is because the IRS has been underfunded for so long that the CBO is uh, understandably conservative about how long it will take for them to get back to the size of an organization they need to be in order to ensure tax compliance. Congressman Kasten, do you care about the order of events here? A lot has been made about, you know, which bill gets voted on first, the BIF or the reconciliation. I spoke with uh, Congresswoman Jayapal today. She said there's no vote on Monday, and if infrastructure came up right now, it would fail. Is that true? I care a lot that we get the reconciliation package done and that we know what it is. We, we will not get a second bite at this apple. And I care a lot that I can look myself in the mirror and say during this brief period of time that I had the responsibility to be a member of Congress. We did everything we did on climate. That's not a sequencing issue. It is a do we trust the United States Senate to prioritize the protection of the climate? And none of us know the answer to that question right now. We know the Senate is committed to preserving the filibuster. We don't know if they're committed to to protecting the climate. When you say the Senate, do you mean Democrats, Republicans, or both? Um, well, I, I mean enough members of the Senate to um, to prioritize these things. It is not clear. And, and again, we are not going to get a single Republican vote on this bill because it is bipartisan to look out for the climate. Because it is bipartisan to look out for child care. It's not bipartisan. It's you know it's partisan to de- deal with the climate. It's partisan to deal with child care. It's partisan to deal with people's access to health care. It's partisan to make sure that our seniors have access to Medicare that covers dental and visual. I I wish that wasn't true, but all of those things are only going to pass with Democratic votes in the House and the Senate. Mm. And so, yes, we can't afford to lose any votes in the Senate. And yes, there are some Democrats who are who, you know, have differences of opinion on this. But this would be much easier 
if there was a single Republican senator who said it's important for us to leave a better planet for our kids than the one we inherited from our parents. Congressman, your Clean Energy Amendment passed last night, passed the House as part of the National Defense Authorization Act. You're pointing out, I noticed today, the Department of Defense consumes 77 percent of all energy used by the federal government. How would your amendment change that? So I'm really happy. This is We actually tried to get this in last year and didn't get it through. And I spent 20 years in the private sector. And one of the things that struck me coming into this job is that huge numbers of private employer, private sector businesses have made a conscious decision to use the strength of their balance sheet to accelerate the deployment of clean energy by entering into, um, by committing to be zero carbon, by entering into long-term power purchase agreements. Um, I remember about, this was probably 10 or 15 years ago, when Walmart committed to uh, sourcing all of their energy in their stores from clean energy. And Walmart said at the time that they were the second largest electricity consumer in the country. The biggest was the federal government. And so when I came in, we said, what can we do to basically get the federal government to follow the lead that the private sector has given? Because if we commit to buying federal buying clean energy, um, what it does is lower the cost of capital to developers and the private sector actors who want to build these technologies because now they have a long-term contract with the federal government. It makes these projects eminently more financeable in the same way it does if you've got a long-term contract with Walmart. But it's even better because we're AAA credit. So basically what this bill does is says that all new buildings, um, all new buildings that are you know subject to the overview of the, of the Department of Defense, have to have to get to net zero and have a pass to get there, and therefore gives us that tool so that we can start using the purchasing power of the federal government um, to, uh, to do right by the environment, do right by the economy, and do right by our grandkids. You worried about a government shutdown, Congressman? Boy, I think we all are. Um, I know that we will get a. I know that no one in our party is going to do anything to to cause the government to shut down. And you know, sadly, every time we get to these points, it becomes a politicized debate because you know folks realize that they've got this may be a chance to use some leverage to get something else. And and I'll be honest, you know, um, when the Democrats have been the majority in the majority or in the minority, they've sometimes abused that power as well. So. There is bipartisan abuse of that government shutdown. We don't want it to happen this time, and we're going to do everything in our power to prevent it. I wonder uh, through which way the debt ceiling might be handled as well. Does that end up in reconciliation, getting back to where we started? Well, the the debt ceiling is, you know, let's be honest, the, the debt ceiling should really make us all angry. This will completely... Uh, I mean, it, it's not that long ago that we saw the U.S. have a, that temporary, you know, credit rating decline when we when we did trigger the debt ceiling, and that's massively disruptive for financial markets. The U.S. is one of the few countries where we separate the decision about how much money to spend from a decision about whether to allow ourselves to borrow money, and it's it's really irresponsible. Right? You know, we've you know if you if you think about the money that we that we owe in the national debt right now. That's based on decisions that you know every member of Congress, to the extent they were here when the decisions were made, has made over over years, decades under you know multiple administrations. Um, to decide that I'm not going to pay the debt is a pretty weird abuse of federal power, and I'm I'm a co-sponsor of a bill that Congressman Foster is leading 
to just eliminate that requirement that we should take the decision in Congress when we decide to spend money. Mm-hmm. We should commit ourselves to paying for the money we spend. We shouldn't give ourselves a second bite at the apple because all that does is diminish U.S. credit standing in the world. And given how many things are indexed to the security of a federal treasury, um, that is just massively disruptive. And we, we shouldn't be playing this kind of Russian roulette with the economy. You're confident, though, this time around, Congressman, your party can get it done in time. I know this could take a couple of weeks. I'm going to defer to people smarter than me on procedure about how to get that done. We, you know, but I know um, John Yarmouth, chair of the budget committee, has been working very hard to figure out what other procedural mechanisms we might have, and I'm going to defer to his wisdom on that. But I can I can certainly guarantee you that that there is not a Democrat on Capitol Hill who who wants us to violate our debt obligations, and we're going to use absolutely every tool we have to make sure that we don't. Congressman Sean Caston, appreciate your time today. I know hot FERC summer is over, but I hope you have a great weekend ahead. <laughs> well, thank you, and I, I wish everybody a hot FERC summer, however you may celebrate. Maybe we'll get together for a FERC's giving, <laughs> but we'll see how the seasons treat us. <laughs> Apologies to producer Matt Shirley for coming up with the FERC's giving. Now, we've heard from all corners here in the U.S. House. Well, at least of the Democratic Party, right? Well, no, we actually had Congressman Davidson in there as well. Just to tee up our reporters' roundtable, get the views out there. We'll distill all of this coming up. As we do have breaking news and a red headline on the terminal here, as I read from the headline, Huawei's Meng is freed by Canadian judge. Meng Wangzhou has been freed, set for release. It's actually happened, ending a two-year extradition ordeal. You can read more about it, and we'll be talking a lot more with our reporters roundtable bloomberg government's jack fitzpatrick and mario parker bloomberg politics team leader with us coming up after we check on the markets for you as well we'll check in with charlie pellet ahead i'm joe matthew this is bloomberg the countdown has begun this may a thousand global leaders will gather in doha for the qatar economic forum powered by bloomberg held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Broadcasting live from our nation's capital, Bloomberg 99.1, to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Boston, Bloomberg 1061, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew. Thanks for spending part of your Friday with us on Bloomberg Radio, the fastest hour in politics as we prepare to assemble our Friday Reporters Roundtable with our pal Jack Fitzpatrick from Bloomberg Government. We're also joined this hour by Mario Parker, Bloomberg Politics team leader. We've got the boss in the room and he's up here next. You may have heard my conversation at the beginning of the hour with Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal, the head of the Progressive Caucus, who said in no uncertain terms there would be no vote on infrastructure on Monday and that she was reaching out, calling for meetings with Senators Manchin and Cinema to try to at least get on the same page when it comes to spending levels and so forth. Jayapal was at an event hosted by House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. They were cheering the benefits of reconciliation for women on the House steps. And I also bumped into 
Congresswoman Ayanna Presley, of course, Democrat from Massachusetts, member of the squad, as they say, talking about the the infighting, if you will, the Democrats versus Democrats on this, moderates versus progressives. Not only arguing about timing here, but of course, spending levels and what's going to end up in these bills. Thing is, again, I just uh, there was a deal from the very beginning that we would move on a narrow bipartisan infrastructure package, more traditional highways, roads, and bridges, you know, broadband. All those things are critically important, but we have to also move in tandem, honoring the original terms of the agreement and the expectation of the multi-racial, multi-generational coalition that delivered the decisive Democratic majority of the House, the Senate, and the White House. That majority brings with it a mandate and an expectation. And we have a responsibility to meet the needs of that movement that made this majority possible, to be responsive to their needs, and that requires bold, robust investment. This is the president's agenda because it is the people's agenda. Ayanna Presley speaking with Bloomberg Sound on just a little while ago on Capitol Hill. By the way, that came only moments after an argument on the House steps between Representatives Margie Taylor Greene and, and Debbie Dingell yelling across the steps at each other about abortion law. It was, just seemed to highlight the discord that we're seeing in some cases within the House Democratic Party. We're joined by the Reporters Roundtable again. Jack Fitzpatrick and Mario Parker are with us. What do you make of this? Jack, welcome to both of you. Are, are we getting to the point of like a family uh, Thanksgiving dinner here where everybody's out a little too much and they're all on edge? It doesn't seem like everybody's getting along. Yeah, no, not everybody's getting along. It, this is a Congress in which it, since January 6th, a lot of people have been frustrated with each other. Uh, but also now within the Democratic Party, they really have to figure out what exactly their priorities are. Are they all really on the same team? I think one source of frustration is a lot of members want to get both of these packages done. But some of the moderates have basically said, well, I think we should go slower. Rather than you hearing Joe Manchin or Kirsten Sinema or some of the House moderates say, I would vote for X, Y, and Z. They're talking about the process and saying, I don't think we really need to be doing this right now. And so that is delaying that uncomfortable Thanksgiving dinner where it could actually lead to solutions. (laughs) Right. Well, I I guess nobody's walked out yet, uh, Mario. What do you make of this? I had a conversation yesterday with Congressman Jim McGovern, uh, who chairs the Rules Committee. Of course, pretty progressive guy when it comes to to the Democratic Party. He said if, if this were Europe... We'd be talking about 10 different parties here, but because it's Washington, we're all trying to figure out how to be one. No, I, and I think your your analogy, Joe, about Thanksgiving dinner is spot on, right? Everyone came. Maybe that says something about my family. Huh? No, I think it says something about all of our families, right? That's an a, a American thing, right? We all get under the roof, and there's been this, these simmering tensions for a while now, mm-hmm. and now we're all at the table, and some of those simmering tensions uh, between progressives and moderates, for example, in the Democratic Party that a year ago was united uh, to, to try to defeat Donald Trump is now kind of rearing its head um, now that they have the White House and, and, and all of this power yeah. consolidated. Yeah. We heard from uh, President Biden today. He was actually talking about COVID. And of course, everyone wants to talk about this uh, when he goes to questions. He was asked specifically about something that I we just talked about uh, with with the two members, including uh, Sean Caston. And this idea of taxing unrealized gains to help pay for this. It was just interesting the way he worded his answer. Senator Wyden 
has a proposal on annual taxes on billionaires' unrealized gains. Is that a proposal that you support? Yes, I do. I, look, I support a lot of these proposals. We don't need all the things I support to pay for this, but I do support that. Well, Jack, we don't need all the things I support to pay for this. Is there that much money going around? Uh, that depends on how small it's going to get because of the moderates. You know, what you've seen in the House is $2.1 trillion in revenue. And if you assume that Democrats give themselves some credit for economic growth, and even some of the moderates, like Scott Peters, has said, well, for some of the climate stuff, we don't need to 100% pay for it. Mm. You could get a big package and easily pay for all of this. Uh, if, you know, we, when we talk about mansion, we're talking about potentially maybe a, a one and a half trillion dollar measure rather than three and a half trillion. It's possible for them to actually be able to comfortably pay for this, but it depends how much the moderates shrink it. They, they can lose some revenue things and it doesn't completely destroy the promise that they're basically going to pay for this. Mario, for a party that's being criticized by the Republicans for, for, for spending like drunken sailors here, is that good politics to say, my God, we, uh, we have more money than we even need to pay for all of this stuff? Or is that the message the president should be sending? That seems to be the message the president uh, wants to send. He hosted all of these various groups at the White House this week yeah. as he's risking uh, some of his key agenda uh, falling apart before his eyes. Uh, president Biden has been around Washington for four decades. He knows how the game is played. He knows exactly, even though he speaks off the cuff sometimes and he mentions that he gets in trouble, he knows what signals he's sending uh, when he's taking to the bully pulpit. Yeah, I think he secretly enjoys getting in trouble, don't you, Jack? <laughs> That's his style. It's his style, exactly. Say, so, forgive me, forgive me. I said, the meetings that Mario mentioned, uh, were they productive? It, it, it didn't seem like a lot came out of them, or was that simply just everyone kind of looking each other in the eye to say, we're doing this, right? We didn't hear anything fundamentally change. Yeah. I, I think it can help Democrats to meet with the president and get that encouragement. Maybe some more technical, hands-on stuff from the White House would be helpful. But really, the biggest challenges in getting the infrastructure and the reconciliation done is the vote count, the timing, mm -hmm. and the fact that those have kind of branched off and become separate, and the differences between the House and Senate. This is probably more a problem for congressional leadership than for the president himself. We're going to talk exactly Exactly about that, the vote count and the timing coming up with Jack and Mario Parker with us for the rest of the hour here, our Friday Reporters Roundtable. This is Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. Thanks for spending some time with us. We'll take a look at the markets with Charlie Pellet straight ahead. So stay here. This is Bloomberg. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. They say life is all about timing, right? Well, that's certainly the case if you're a Democrat on Capitol Hill right now. And that's where we pick up with our Friday Reporters Roundtable. Jack Fitzpatrick is with us along with Mario Parker, Bloomberg Politics team leader. It's great to have both of you guys here as we kind of figure out where we have been this week. And as I'm leading to here, where we might be going next week with all of this. Uh, Jack, you've been kind of obsessed over this whole calendar, like all of us. There was at one point going to be a Monday vote on the bipartisan infrastructure bill. That was the promise to moderates. We're hearing from everyone now that that will be delayed. But of course, they won't vote for the reconciliation bill until that's ready. And well, progressives are saying the same and the opposite. How the heck is all this going to happen? Could they actually orchestrate 
a, a tandem vote where these might come together on the same day? It is looking very challenging. I haven't heard anybody lay out a plan specifically where they could align these perfectly. They could try. Uh, the, the challenge, though, is it, various people want both of these things to be tied together. The moderates want the infrastructure part. The progressives want the reconciliation bill. But the moderates don't want to vote for the uh, reconciliation bill unless they actually think it's going to pass the Senate. Now, leadership is pushing this along, saying we should try to get a uh, vote on reconciliation, the big one, next week. So you you might think you could get these aligned, but clearly they have not come to an agreement with the Joe Mansions and Kirsten Cinemas. So I, I thought of your uh, interview earlier this week with Henry Cuellar, where he said the one thing I don't want is to vote on something that I know isn't going to become law anyway right. and take that tough vote. Yeah. That seems to be the plan because they're trying to move this along. But clearly we're, we're not at a point where there's some bicameral agreement, and that's why it seems like things are kind of starting to fall apart in terms of their schedule. And so it's a game of trust. Uh, again here, Mario, when you consider that and, and what, what Congresswoman Jayapal told us, if they voted on infrastructure today, it would fail. She says half the progressive wing of the party would vote no for that. Are there any Republicans or would there be enough to make up the difference? As of right now, I mean, the Republicans have signaled that they're not on board with this at all. McCarthy's right? telling his people to say no, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, which leaves, again, the Democrats in this, this tough position where they have to unite their caucus. And, and as Jack mentioned, uh, a lot of this boils down to, to trust, right? So how do, you, how do the progressives trust that the moderates are going to support their agenda and vice versa? And I'm not quite sure how they figure that out. If yeah, these guys in this room don't know, then no one up there does either. Or just between you and I, what's that, Jack? Yeah, I mean, there there are probably going to end up being some Republicans who are willing to vote for this against leadership. But the critical thing is that Republican leaders are whipping against this vote yeah, so. and saying we are going to stop this in as unified way as possible. There so was it's a not time be a when this was bipartisan. It, it is a bipartisan bill, <laughs> but it's so linked with the partisan reconciliation bill that if you're a Republican in the House, you would probably think let's pump the brakes on that, yeah. and we'll be pumping the brakes on the partisan thing that we absolutely hate. Right. Wow. Well, of course, uh, the ads are pumping as well. We spoke earlier this week uh, with ad and op- optics expert Adam Belmar about a big buy. It was like a $7.5 million ad buy by the American Action Network. Building back together, a Democratic group in this case, is dropping $5 million on ads, both online and on TV. Not to beat up anybody or to throw a phone number, you know, tell Josh Gottheimer to slow down on the spending. This is actually praising Democrats for supporting the Biden agenda. President Biden and Representative Axme are fighting to lower your costs from health care and prescription drugs to child care and utility bills. Iowa Representative Cindy Axme, one of, gosh, about a dozen lawmakers who are feeling the love, uh, Mario, and the ad wars here. Who does this help? You spend $5 million to compliment somebody? Is that just trying to keep the caucus together? It is trying to keep the caucus together. Uh, Speaking to Republicans uh, about this ad campaign, they've spun it as... Wow, it must be some real trouble out there if Democrats huh. are spending money to support their own plan yeah. at this point. Um, but but yeah, it's it's obviously to 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 boy uh, boy some of the, these folks and keep them keep the caucus together and give them something to write home about, mm-hmm. especially as we look toward midterms. Building back together is not alone here either. Uh, the League of Conservation Voters. Uh, out with its own uh, campaign here, in this case, for Representative Stephanie Murphy. 
Here, I'll tell you what they've got going. As Congresswoman Stephanie Murphy says, climate change is an existential threat for Florida, but it's also an opportunity to be seized. We've got the rock music playing here. Stephanie Murphy, of course, was one of those 10 moderates, right, Jack, who really pinned down Nancy Pelosi on trying to get that infrastructure vote. Well, in particular, she also ended up, she's on Ways and Means, which is a critical committee, and ended up voting against everything they put out. And she's got the really broad complaints about this being rushed and not liking the process they've gone through. Uh, She's been very vocal about her her critiques of how this reconciliation process has gone. So those kinds of groups, um, you know, maybe rewarding her for what she could do, but also pressuring and and saying we really want this to become law uh, makes sense. So I guess I'll ask both of you guys here just broadly, do you see progress on this next week? We haven't even talked about funding the government or dealing with the debt ceiling. Both of those are going to be in the air next week as well. Mario, are, are, are they going to be closer to the finish line on this, or, or does it is this the part where it could start falling apart? It very well could start falling apart, but at least my gut is that at this point the calendar is going to face uh, force them to face some hard truths, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's going to force uh, Speaker Pelosi to uh, really um, you know keep the caucus together, uh, show some of her uh, deal-making bona fides. What do you think, Jack? I think there's enough pressure so it actually could push them forward. But what you mentioned is important on the deadline to fund the government, mm-hmm. which distracts and takes up floor time. Uh, and there's the it's intertwined with the debt limit issue. They're going to have to have what looks like a, a guaranteed fail vote uh, in the Senate on both of those paired together. And then they need to separate them and each chamber vote again. Next week could kind of be dominated by the deadline just to avoid a shutdown. And that makes all the other stuff they want to do a little bit more complicated. What's the point of this exercise? You know, people say this is why they hate Washington. If Democrats know it's going to fail, Mario, is this Chuck Schumer just trying to rub the dog's face in the pile here? Is this an exercise to embarrass Republicans? That's the gambit, right? Uh, Since the beginning of this this saga, the the Democrats' talking point is to shame Republicans into uh, their past actions. They've raised the debt, voted to raise the debt ceiling before, for example. It's been a bipartisan exercise. And it's also to make sure or try to limit the fire that they'll have incoming with with ads that says that Democrats just want to spend, spend, spend and and raise debt, etc. What do you think about that, Jack? I think clearly the Democrats are comfortable with holding a vote and then blaming Republicans for blocking action on the debt That's limit. That's the payoff? You make, you make ads out of that later I, on in the midterms? I'm not sure it's a great payoff, but it, this has been such a slow-rolling train where it has become very obvious that the votes aren't there yeah. and Democrats haven't changed their mind that evidently this is part of the plan. The big issue for the debt limit is it does not really seem like there is a plan B. They're, they're claiming they don't have enough time to go back and in a partisan way through reconciliation address the debt limit. Mm-hmm. It does not appear that that's true. Outside experts at bipartisan policy centers say, if you act now, you probably could, yeah. but they, they aren't doing it. So the, the plan B is just not apparent. Is it in the current reconciliation bill? No. And I, I'm just, the, because I'm told they're not allowed to do two at once, though. Is that is you that can, something they could pull off in the House? It's possible to do this. Uh, what I've heard from everybody is that to do it through reconciliation, they would need to go back and amend their reconciliation and Instructions That can be time-consuming. It yeah. seems like they probably have enough time, but they need to do the markup again, the vote on the instructions again, do the voterama in the Senate, and right. then 
then you can have multiple bills. You don't even need to pair it with your $3.5 trillion bill. You can vote separately through reconciliation on a debt limit measure and avoid a catastrophe. But because it's time-consuming, they really would – it would probably take a couple weeks. Yeah, and right. the deadline could be as soon as about October 15th. Yeah. So they need to do it very, very soon, and they're not doing it right now. Mark Zandi, Mario, told us uh, yesterday, he says October 20 is the date that he's looking at. Are Democrats actually playing with fire here? Is there a chance they wouldn't make it in that case if you need two to three weeks to get that done? If they don't, we saw the last time with Republicans that, I mean, this is a big gambit for them. If they don't meet that deadline, I mean, the party in power is the one that usually takes the blame. Mm -hmm. Deadlines are, of course, uh, movable in this case, but maybe that that debt ceiling is the one that that you can't really play with, right, Jack? I mean, they could kick the can on funding the government, maybe buy a couple of weeks or whatever, negotiate something. The debt ceiling is immovable here. Well, by the way, if if they mess up both of these and they somehow ended up being a a shutdown and a violation of the debt limit, the shutdown wouldn't even be the story. Mm -hmm. That that would have negligible impact compared to uh, the default on payments. The issue with the debt limit is they can't just move this. They can't fudge the numbers after a certain point, but they don't know exactly what the deadline is. October 15th, October 20th, they really are playing with fire because it is a a cliff that they fall off and they don't know exactly where the cliff is. But Democrats have promised, Mario, they're going to handle this, right? That they will make good on this even without Republican support. Yes, and again, that goes back to Chuck Schumer mentioning that uh, and other Democrats saying that they will be the responsible ones here in in handling the, the, the country's debt. But they're blowing days, at least, if not weeks, on this exercise uh, with Republicans. And and again, they're blowing days and weeks with the, with the Republicans, and then they're just also playing with fire in terms of uh, just the political onslaught, as Jack mentioned. If we were to shut down, Democrats are likely to own that, no matter how they try to spend it. The latest I've heard, though, from yeah. the budget chairman, John Yarmuth, is yes. there appears to be an agreement bicamerally among Democrats not to do reconciliation, and they're just gambling that Republicans are going to change their mind. That's why it's dangerous. This is why next week is going to be wild. Love talking to you guys, and I do appreciate it. Jack Fitzpatrick, no stranger to this broadcast. And how about Mario Parker? Come back see us, Mario. Bloomberg Politics Team Leader. I'm Joe Matthew. Have a weekend. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.